It's almost time! Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach Podcast. You're on once again with Chizo. I'm here with JB and Pistol. Funnily enough, you're showing up again here, mate. Great <laughs> to see you boys here. Pistol, how are you, champion? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, I'm not sure why I wouldn't be showing up, but I'm looking forward to getting the season underway. So you're basically saying that you've switched from one thesis to the next thesis. Is that what you're telling me? No, that is definitely not it. Um, so you're not working around the clock trying to get the best Supercoach side to beat the Chizo chase down in 2018? I knew that was coming as well, and I walked right into <laughs> it. No, that was terrible. I should have should have seen that coming. And JB, how are you, champion? Oh, I'm in awe of that amazing intro, Chizo. Far out. You haven't lost the beat, mate. Oh, mate, it's great to be back. We kind of held back a little bit on the preseason because um, so much happens in such a short space of time that you put out one podcast and it's irrelevant in a week's time uh, this far ahead of the uh, of round one. We've just finished off our uh, Dr. Supercoach Admin League uh, draft redraft for our keeper league as well boys so we've just got the uh, the sources brewing in the kitchen there with our uh, our taste buds for Supercoach, and we're we're getting right back into the thicker things again here jb how's your team looking yeah it's actually looking okay there's a lot of tinkering happening and i'm starting to see more and more mid prices creeping to my side so i'm a little concerned but just uh just trying not to keep the fiddly fingers on the team otherwise i'll have a whole different squad one day from the next cheese what about yourself mate uh, a little bit of chili sprinkled throughout my side at this stage obviously you finished the highest out of all three of us i think did you end up coming top 1000 last year mate i think you hovered around that all year until you started taking suggestions from us i think <laughs> yeah I, ju- I just scraped in i was a lot higher but i, I finished very poorly and almost got cheese chased on myself <laughs> Look, you know that's only a pistol thing. He just he peaks early. He's, he's just a young man. He doesn't understand. You know, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. That's right. And so he always kind of peaks around round twelve, and then it's just all downhill from there when he's got no trades. Yeah, it's become a force of habit for him now as well. So I feel sorry for the guy. Oh wait, it's actually on this podcast. We can ask him about it. <laughs> all right, guys, let's get cracking straight into it. I'm going to throw it over to you, JB. You're always good when you're hosting a a three way, <clears throat> and uh, uh, we'll cover some of the things that the community has been reaching out for this early in the preseason, mate. Over to you. Yeah, we're going to keep it very simple, this podcast, and and very raw as well. So we haven't done a lot of research. And when I say a lot, I mean we haven't done any research. So you're going to get the raw opinions. And we're just going to cycle through the comment section on my post on the page the other day, uh, just asking what people really wanted to know at this point of the season. So if we really got into the defensive forwards and the midfielders and the ruckmen, um, half of the information we give will be different by midway through the JLT. So we thought we'd just focus on on what the community wanted for this one. So I'm going to start us off straight away. And Pistol, I'm going to throw to you. You're in the hot seat straight away, mate. How to prepare for the buys. So what are you considering at this point? I know it's very early selection selection point in your team. But what are you considering to do with the buyers at this stage of Supercoach, mate? Great question. Um, so firstly, I should say, you said we haven't done any research. I think you meant we haven't done any research about the questions you're about to read to us. We've done lots of Supercoach. <laughs> yeah, speak for yourself, JB. Speak for yourself. <laughs> lots of Supercoach research has been done. Um, the round 10 buy is early. Much uh, It's not counted as you know the buy round. So... Um, Suns and power don't play in round 10 and for me that means not selecting a Suns or a power player Uh, quite simply if you're going to select one of them you're going to get either a rookie score or a donut in that round and to me it's just not worth it you're basically I guess overpaying for somebody um, until 
that round where they probably have to average three or four points per game more than you expect um, to break even if you're using a rookie in that round to catch up to them. So you may as well just get them after the round 10 buy. Um, so my, my planning would probably be looking at that as well as looking at the danger buy, which is round 14. Round 14, you've got Adelaide Crows, Fremantle Dockers, Geelong Cats, Richmond, Sydney, and um, St. Kilda at the top of my head. And they all have very, very hot premiums um, across all the lines. And you really have to make sure that you don't have too many of them in your team to start the year because you will get massively wasted in round 14 um, with donuts if you just select primos all throughout there. You've especially got to be careful in that midfield because you've got Dangerfield and Dusty and Fife who I'd say most teams are planning on having them by round 14. Um, as soon as you get to four, you probably got to stop having any more primos in one line than four. Um, it's just you, you cop donuts. So you've got to be really careful with the other primos that you're taking in that round. Other than that, round 12 only has four teams playing, so it's a bit easier. So if you can pinch a primo or two um, in that round, you'll be looking sweet. That's got Carlton, Hawthorne, Bulldogs, and Eagles. So if you happen to yeah pick a... a cheeky primo from one of those teams then you're probably going to be sitting pretty sweet going through the buys so it looks like we really want to balance our sides uh this early um even if they are going to change a bit and we know it so i'm um, just trying to get that balance is probably key now we've heard from someone that peaks during the buys cheese what about someone that actually conquers them afterwards what are your thoughts on the buys this early my thoughts on the buys this early is quite similar when it comes to premiums when we're talking about rookies is something that i think there's enough time for some of these really low price rookies to kind of fatten up. I'm talking the likes of a Will Brody, um, particularly a Nick Holman if he's going to be getting games because even though they play the uh, they have the buy out of turn with everyone else, they still have nine rounds to make us money and you, if you're playing a player consistently that's only $102,000 and Nick Holman and he's uh, he's probably going to have enough time to fatten up. And on top of that, even if you don't use them um, to cull at that stage and try and make some easy cash, they're rookies. So you're only swapping a rookie for a rookie off the bench anyway, so you're not really losing out on any points. Where I do agree with Pistol is if I'm going to be picking between, say, a Gorn or a Paddy Ryder, that's where I am going to make a difference because this year it's not going to... It's not likely that we have a DPP in our team that can swing into the rucks and protect us, nor are we going to have an R3 that's, you know, that's usually the floating loophole. We're not going to have someone to come onto the ground for them, so you're just going to cop basically nothing for them. So in that situation, I I can see that, and that's really the only reason why I probably wouldn't pick Tom Rockliffe this year is because when you take him off the midfield, you're bringing on like a Lockie Fogarty or a, a Warper or a Holman or someone like that where you, you may only get 50 or 60 out of and that's where you're going to lose out because you can't replace a like for a like. Yeah, and that's that's especially significant considering you can't, you're not given the opportunity to just play your best 18 during that Port and Gold Coast buy round. So that's only available during the other ones. So they don't actually make those points back up because it's just best 18. So... Um, now you make some very good points and it is definitely interesting to think that we don't really have to be too concerned about the rookie buys. It's mostly or well, strictly just our premiums and mid prices who we expect to still be in our team around that time. Exactly. And just to further on that, Sam Palpepper after nine rounds last year had 
um, gone from $135,000 to three hundred and twelve. So you do the math, that's a, a sizable chunk that if you are going to downgrade, um, say there's a port, say a Don Barry or a Nick Holman, you are going to financially be better off in that situation. Yeah, definitely. So um, don't really get too concerned about your rookie selection and really just focus on balancing those primos between the buy rounds. Now, it's funny you brought up uh, Gorn and Ryder earlier because the next question from Corey Lyle here is good ruck replacements for Nick Nat. So a lot of people getting cold feet on Nick Nat already as we've, we've heard a lot from the training camp down at West Coast and he's not really doing a lot of activity yet, which, you know, this part of the season you'd expect he would be. Uh, so people are getting a bit concerned, uh, very concerned that there's no R3 that we can really depend on yet. And if he misses games, we're just looking dead set at a zero. So um, definitely something to think about this early. Pistol, you were onto this very, very early. I think you were the first person that I saw without the gore nick Nat combo in their squad very early in the preseason. Uh, so what are your thoughts on tackling this this second ruck, considering I, I hope most of us are locking in Gorn? <laughs> yeah, I'd say Gorn is definitely the first picked ruckman. Um, I never had Nick Nat in my team, just because I thought if he was going to play at some stage, they're going to rest him. Um, it's a hard injury to come back from, so um, I didn't want to get a ruck zero, so he wasn't one for me. Originally, I had Sam Jacobs, because he generally doesn't miss a game. He's good for at least a 95 average. They get Gibbs into the midfield, hopefully a couple more hitouts to advantage. And there's no real downside. You just get a solid scorer. I guess if you were to pick a downside, it's that you're probably not getting the best Ruckman um, available, given that you, I think we will all say that Ryder's going to average more than Jacobs this year. I think your other options are probably limited to Cruiser, who is crazy expensive at 603000 Also, no Ruckman has ever, um, in eight, the last eight years, I should say, has backed up being the highest scoring Ruckman to the next year. So um, that's quite a big stat. Gibbs has left Carlton, so maybe less hitouts to advantage um, to Cruiser. And then you're pretty much stuck with no one because you've got Stefan Martin, who uh, Max Milnes commented saying he reckons Stefan Martin's the one. He's getting on and Brisbane aren't going to play finals this year. They're going to want to pump some games into probably Archie Smith and um, Oscar McInturney off the top of my head. I can't remember how to pronounce his name as a mature age ruckman that they picked up last year. Um, so I think they're going to get games at some stage. So Steph might not be the safest pick this year. And then you've got to be looking at you know these other ruckmen. You could maybe go for a Zach Smith who averaged 100 without Reece Stanley in the team, but only 80 with Reece Stanley in the team. Or, you know, you you got Long and Hickey fighting for spots. Um, and, you know, Bell Chambers is competing with Lawnberger. So there's no real safe option here. I think you're either going to pick Ryder and just cop the donut. You're going to pick Cruiser and just pay up front and accept that he might average 10 per points per game less, but not the end of the world. You're just sacrificing money. Or you're going to pick Jacobs and just get the, the full season out of it. So not too many choices available at this stage, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's hard to really couple Cruiser with durability either. I mean, he's had obviously the most recent season in memory uh, being last year was very, uh, very durable. But before that, he's obviously had his injury concerns, which has been well documented. Now, I've got Ryder in my side. Um, I'm kind of expecting him to actually score those five to ten points over Sam Jacobs and hoping an R3 comes in uh, to my side at some point. So... There are a couple of players putting their hands up. Do you want to just chat us through the best couple of players putting their hands up? Is it worth going for Ryder if you're really backing him in to score five or ten more than Jacobs? Look, it really depends on how you value Ryder. If you if you see him averaging, 
you know, probably around 107 or, or more, then it probably is worth just copying the donut as silly as it sounds, just because he's only 40K more expensive than Jacobs. And if he's going to outscore Jacobs over the whole season by, you know, 200 plus points, well then, you know, quick math will tell you, he just may as well get Ryder in. Um, looking at the R3 front, there's not too many options. You can pray that Tim English gets a call up directly in that round and, you know, hope, or you could maybe... Um, look at one of the Sydney Ruckmen, maybe a Noah Bolter um, from Richmond in case there's some sort of injury there. And basically, you're just selecting somebody and hoping that they're going to be available um, at round 10. The only real DPP that you could consider, I guess, would be Scott Lysett, but even then is competing with Vardy. Um, and Lysett's 277k, so it's quite a big gamble with somebody that has direct competition for his spot. So I think the only way that you're really going to be picking Ryder is if you don't really care about overall rank and you think that he's going to average 10 points per game more than Sam Jacobs. Otherwise, it's probably not worth it. Yeah, very interesting take. Now, Pierce, I'm going to avoid you specifically for this next one. Uh, the third and final question from Corey Lyle is about Pendlebury. So, Chizo, get the uh, get the keyboard out. Start looking up Pendlebury. What are, you, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Pendlebury bouncing back this season? I don't want any bias in the answer there. I know Pistol can't answer without bias on this one. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, my answer is going to be particularly around when we start seeing these older players start to drop off, they don't generally suddenly bounce back and start hitting heights and competing with the best in the competition again. It's I think we can all agree Pendle's had probably what his worst year that we can remember since we really started um, playing Supercoach. For some reason, last year... Just ha- uh, wasn't his year, and that was the one where he was missing games and playing different roles. Now, there's whispers that we can hear that he's going to be playing some more time forward. He's going to be sweeping across half-back. They want to get uh, Maynard and these kind of players to uh, goey through the midfield and start growing the next crop. All of that is just enough noise in the background for me to think that this is the beginning of the drop-off. I don't think he's going to literally fall off a cliff and do what a Heath Shaw did last year where they realise they need to get the ball into the hands of Zach Williams and, and these kind of guys, and then he just literally falls off a cliff going from like 110 to 70 or whatever ridiculous it was. I think that he's going to be around the 110 mark, around the same. I don't think he's that much of a bargain as what a lot of people are expecting, but I don't think he's going to be a bad pick. I think you'll still you'll still find value in him at, at priced at about 106 um, as an average. I, I, I think he's a good pick. I, he's just not for me for a number of different reasons. Yeah, and he stands out to me as a POD pick, but if there are herds and herds of people jumping on, then it really just looks to benefit me in just going with your Paddy Cripps and your Fife and Tom Mitchell, Josh Kelly. So the younger younger type brigade now. I know Fife isn't that much younger, but he's obviously a bargain. So um, no, I tend to agree with you there. I don't think he'll fall off a cliff by any means, and I think he'll still maintain a top 10 midfield ranking. I don't think he'll be in that that real top six bracket, top eight bracket. I think he'll just be lingering on that top 10 all season. So sorry if we hurt your feelings there, Piss. So I will cut back to you for this next question. So this is from Sarah Solon. Now, she wants to know a high-risk, high-reward pick. So... Um, can you think off the top of your head some of the best high? Well, there aren't any best because they're obviously high risk, high reward. But uh, some of the the most accurate that would go with this description, uh, pistol. Well, firstly, Pendlebury. 
Um, I think that <laughs> um, I knew we I couldn't say, get through this without you saying something. I'm going to cut. I'm going to cut back in. I know he's going to play in the guts. It's Scott Pendlebury. You guys are crazy. Um, all right, I'll answer the question now. Tom Rockliffe is probably the definition of a high risk high reward pick because that man could literally score anywhere between like 95 and 130 this season um, at Port. So that's probably the number one in the high risk high reward department. Um, across other lines, you're probably looking at kind of random players that might break out as high risk high reward, but are also priced at primos. So um, maybe a Sicily, Dev Smith um, could break out and they're kind of costly. So um, yeah, they, they might you know, screw you over a little if they if they don't live up to expectations. Um, across the midfield, Cochin, Mark Murphy, I think these players that did really well last season, but you kind of wouldn't expect to back up. Um, it's not like Cochin can't get better, and it's not like Mark Murphy can't get better as well, um, especially, you know, if Gibbs leaving, who knows what effect that will have on Murphy. Probably negative, but it's possible that they get better. That's why they're high-risk, high-reward. Um I think in the ruck line, for me, high-risk, high-reward, it's probably Zach Smith. He's got Gaz at his feet now. I mean, that's going to have to help at some stage just from the scoring, getting all those extra hit-outs to advantages. Um, yeah, that's off the top of my head. Can you think of any more, JB? The first person that comes to the mind when hearing about high-risk, high-reward picks for me would be Michael Walters in the forward line. So a person that we saw go into the midfield at the end of last season and just explode 120s every second week. So he just went crazy. I don't have his his 10-round average in front of me from the end of that season, but there was an injury-affected game and I think one other average game, and the rest are just real premium numbers. So um, starting off with him trusting Ross Lyon, it just screams risk to me. Um, but if he does get that midfield time, that could be the highest reward pick in the forward line. So um, we know he's capable of scoring those big numbers. If he gets a whole season in that midfield, just near the percentages he got at the end of last year, then we could see someone average 105 who's only priced at 85. So um, he really he stands out to me as that high risk, high reward player because if he does stay forward, he's going to average 70. <laughs> so there's obviously, there's obviously risk in the pick, but... Like I said, reward as well. So, Chizo, off the top of your head, can you think of anyone that hasn't been named that's just real risky but could be real good? Can we go past this without talking about Jaeger? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring him up too. Go, go, Salas. I mean, he, 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 well, I can't see on someone I don't actually physically have in my team just yet. So, <laughs> I have to recognise, you know, what we do is we, at the end of, or even the start of every year, we kind of try and learn from what we what mistakes we made the year before. I went in with too many mid-prices. I think I went in with uh, around four across my lines. And not only that, they were the wrong ones. So some people um, picked up some good mid-prices and, and they were the, the way to go. I was chasing my tail for the first six rounds trying to swap ones that were just not working for me. Jaeger is one of them. Coming off a season where he's averaged in the 60s and... They didn't want to give him a representative price drop for being um, a limited number of games and respective of his average. He's priced at virtually the same he was last year because if they gave him you know, a true representation of, uh, of any other player, he would just be a no-brainer. He'd be you know, 290K, 280K, and we'd just pick him up. It would just be a, a no-brainer. But I think being burnt by someone sticks in your mind. 
You know what I mean? Like I've had so many good experiences with Jaeger in his first two years when he's averaging nearly a hundred as a, a basically a rookie to the stage now there. Every report that started last year was his knees right. He's got no trouble. He's going to play 22 games this year and win the Brownlow medal. And we're hearing basically the same things this year. It's really hard to differentiate between the two. So I think at this stage, what I'm trying to do is wait literally until the last minute. And if he, his kneecaps haven't fallen off in the warm-up, he'll probably be there. But right now, I think we're getting much better value with some of the mature age rookies that have been picked up during the uh, through the draft that are bargain basement and we don't have to worry about injury history. We don't have to worry about how many games they're going to play, when they're going to be rested. Um, we're fairly sure they've got a role and these are the types that I think we can be more confident in banking on rather than someone that's burnt us before. Yeah, exactly right. And he does really really stand for the whole high-risk, high-reward, doesn't he? Because at 300K, he could almost go on to average triple figures like we thought he would be by this time in his career. But again, at 300K, he could play five games. Like it's, He really does represent high-risk, high-reward. So I think you're spot on there. Um, so we're going to f- move on to Jesse Shaw, who's asking about West Coast midfield rookies with Mitchell and Prittis retired. So... Who do we think steps into that midfield space? Now, personally, I've got Gaff, Shuey, they recruited Brandon Archie, and probably Jack Redden in that midfield of mine. Uh, what do you think about it, Pistol? Yeah, I mean, you've got Elliot Yo as well there. Um, Shuey, they, they don't actually probably need to play um, more midfielders as, as pure mids. They've got a couple of, you know, these high half forwards rolling off some backmen that can run through the mids like Nelson. But yeah, Partington, I think, um, you know, Venables and, and players like this can kind of have time on the ball that they don't need a full-time West Coast um, rookie midfielder. The, as you said, the ones that you've mentioned already will, will definitely slot in. So yeah, not, not a great, I mean... Good question, but there's not a great answer for you. Yeah, and I tend to agree as well. I don't think many will be will be perma midfielders, that's for sure. And we'll go on to the next question. We got Craig Gobby, who's asking about the Sydney trio: Kennedy, Hanabry, and Parker. So obviously Sydney, with a bit of a, I mean, you say down year, but obviously they still made the finals. Down year per expectations, and definitely a down year for a couple of their midfielders: Hanabry and Parker. I think JPK still travelled all right. Um, what do you think of these lads, uh, Chizo, bouncing back from their down year? A lot of people putting them in their predictions for top four. Does that mean we expect their averages to bounce back up to normal? Well, they, we talked about this earlier on the preseason. I think it was in our December podcast that they went on this extremely long run and they, they won like 18 games in a row. I, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. I know Pistols knows exactly what it is. And even then, they weren't hitting the heights that they thought they were. Now... Couple that with the fact that Tom Harley came out in the past week or two saying that quite a few of them are behind the eight ball, particularly Dan Han, in getting right for round one. They're having limited pre-seasons. They're not running on top of the ground just yet. That They're going to be working hard to kind of force their way back into that top tier of our supercoach midfielders. So, And on top of that, um, Fantasy Frico from Champion Data posted today, uh, uh, tweeted out the other day, uh, goal scorers from midfields, uh, midfielders since 2013. you got Danger with 129 goals, Dusty with 114 goals, and Parker with 92. 
the next best with was Isaac Smith with 77. And you've got to remember that Parker, not that long ago, went 110. And the thing is, if he can start finding the ball again, he's got a similar trait to what Fifey does. He's an inside ball. He can take a contested mark. He kicks goals. He's just kind of got to get a little bit more of it. Han, Dan Han's a lot more outside. He's a natural winger. We saw that progression after year after year where he was getting better. We've seen a little bit of a drop-off. Um, I wouldn't be too confident jumping back on this year. A few people are seeing him as a bargain. Not for me. Uh, and similar with JPK, um, I don't think we're going to see an influx of points from him. I think from here he kind of does uh, uh, what a Brennan Goddard has done and just you know held that mark for a few years and then um, right at the end, he will have one year where you know Isaac Heaney and Callum Mills really take over, and he takes a bit of a backseat towards the end of his career. So, of those three, I'd probably be looking at Parker, provided that this season um, he has a you know a, a, an injury-free season, he, he can play a whole bunch of games, get a nice got a, a bit of form going, and finds a bit more of the ball because we know he can kick goals, but he's also a really good inside mid, and that's what I want to see, and that's when we'll see the super coach points coming from him. Yeah, I think they all come with their, their bit of risk. But at the same time, they all come with a little bit of security because we've seen them all do it before. So I don't think they're as bad as some of the other midfield selections we could be spending our money on. But again, it, we're talking about high-risk, high-reward players. And I feel like we've said that every second sentence so far this podcast. Uh, so speaking of high-risk, high-reward, Pistol. I've got Trent Matthews here. Asking, does Heater come into contention after an average year last year and the injured Giants in the back line? So talk about high-risk, high-reward for me, Pistol. Oh, no. We're back on Heater. I think uh, he's entered a lot of people's never-agains list, but you have to consider him. The problem is you've got Wilson leaving. You've got Williams getting injured. You need someone to play off the halfback. I mean, the thing is, GWS have options. Um, They've got Cummings, who's a good rookie. They've got other rookie options. They've got the old school players. You've got Deledio that can play off the halfback. You've got Griffin that can play off the halfback. And you have Shaw. And we don't know who's going to take the role. We really don't. This is one of the things that you just need to wait to the JLT and watch Shaw and see if he's lining up deep in the forward pocket or if he's running the field um, you know, with his five bounces a game or something silly. So um, that's something that probably you have to say he's in contention, but... I feel like no one wants to pick Shaw, but if he does well in JLT, he's going to end up being in everybody's team. It's one of those those type picks. Yeah, definitely. I think he, he comes with a lot of risk, but if he ends up scoring in the top six to ten defenders like we know he can, then he kind of justifies his price range, doesn't he? So it just depends how much faith you've still got in Heater after the year he produced last year, which... I think a lot of people, um, well, I think he started in 40-odd percent of teams or something crazy. So, I mean, everyone's been burnt pretty much. So if you've got the the cojones to go around again, then, I mean, go for it. Uh, so the next question, Fozzy Wolf, players in 2018 who could be trapped. So uh, it's very difficult to talk about this, but do you see any bandwagons forming such as Nick Nat, Chizo? that you think straight away this could be a massive trap. Yeah, so there's a couple that spring to mind. Funnily enough, they're also sitting in my team right now. Um, one of the players we've been banking on to take over the Sam Doherty role is Cam O'Shea. Now, it's enticing because he's only 166K, and 
they're a developing team and probably one of their best players in their side has gone down for the season and they've just drafted this mature age player that has had um, AFL experience. But I really think there's a strong chance that he doesn't actually get games this year or doesn't even get early games. Or when he comes in, he doesn't play the role that we expect him to and be a decent scorer. So um, I think there is an element of risk to Cam O'Shea that I don't think people people are just locking in, think throwing away the key, thinking he's just like an absolute, you know, easy pick. But for me, I think he's a little bit risky. Um, similarly, I think that Alan Christensen could be a trap as well. I think everyone's kind of just saying to themselves, oh, all you need to do is average 85. He did that a few years ago. But the thing is, he hasn't played a full season in like four years or something ridiculous. Or he's played one season in that time. So I think that if he gets a good run at it, he could be all right. But at that elevated price, and you're only expecting to get you know, 80, 85 average out of him, is it worth investing that much money in him when you could could be investing in a rookie for someone that we don't actually think is going to have that much of an upside. Yeah, and they're both in a lot of teams early days, so it is um it's definitely concerning seeing the community jump on players that, you know, as you said, uh, haven't played full seasons, might not even play. So besides Camo won't play Pistol, who do you think is a trap? Oh, I've got some two rippers that I've been waiting for this question so I could uh, talk about them. <laughs> the first is someone that is in 21% of teams, Christian Petrarca. He's priced at 433k. Now that's only a mere, you know, 40k off Walters or less than 100k from someone like Green. The dude averaged 78 last year. I mean, he had three scores in the hundreds an entire year from 22 games. You know, he, he didn't get that much mid-time. He's probably going to get a little bit more, you know, natural progression, but he needs to make a jump from 78 to in the 90s to be able to be a viable pick. And I just think it's so risky at 433K. Like, you may as well see if he's good and pick him up for 50K more. Like, it's not a big deal. Just do it a little bit later in the year. Starting with him at 433K for a guy that averaged 78 is just, to me, craziness. And he's in 21% of teams. So for me, Petrarca is hands down... Probably the biggest trap of this year, 2018. But uh, we'll, we'll see how he goes on that one. And uh, secondly, um, another trap, Stringer. I mean, Stringer moved clubs and he was a terrible scorer. And now he's moved clubs and he's still a terrible scorer. Um, he's going <laughs> to, you know, we hear he's going to get mid-time. He's going to play through the mid. He's a bull, all this stuff, which is all true. But at the end of the day, the guy hasn't really played in AFL level full games through the midfield. If he gets tired, he goes forward, he's a gun forward, they probably leave him forward. I mean, it's hard to say how he'll go, but he's in a lot of teams for somebody that he's really awkwardly priced. Like, he's not quite a cash cow because he's over 350K. For him to make you 100K, he's probably averaging enough that he's a keeper. So it's kind of this awkward thing that if it doesn't work out, you just take 20K profit and then trade him and you have to burn a trade on nothing so um that one's a bit more we'll say higher risk higher reward as it's a theme of uh today because he literally might just cost you a trade for no no game whatsoever but yeah i think um those two probably have headlights um yelling at me saying 
these guys are traps. And Pistol, if I can just jump in there for you as well. Um, when you're talking about uh, Christian Petrarca, we know he was a high pick and we all think that he's going to be a, you know, a, a Paddy Dangerfield-esque type player. In 2016, he attended 7% of centre bounces and he had a... a, a Average of 0.7 centre clearances a, day, a game. In 2017, his uh, attendances went up to th- uh, to 30%, 29% in fact, and he only increased that to one centre clearance game. So he's a, a fantastic um, mid-forward player, but so far he hasn't got that, um, that clearance um, ability that we would expect from someone. He would need to take a large step up this year in his clearance work to be able to provide a reason to Goodwin to leave him in the midfield for a longer period of time. I can see him, as, as you said, spending uh, still spending time across the, the, the forward 50 because he's still um, a fantastic one-on-one and uh, a goal-kicking machine for, for their half-forward line. So I, I definitely think he's a trap with you on that one. Yeah, and also if I can interject here, I'm not sure what headlights Pistol uses because none of the ones I use scream at me. So strange, <laughs> strange playing words in Pistol, I'll be honest. Um, but you both make great points. Fair to say you're both in very rare form this preseason, so I'm glad I got you on. Um, premium players in 2018 whom nobody is talking about. So I'll open us up here. Clayton Oliver, for someone who's just had a breakout season of their life, of history almost, nobody's talking about this man, even though he's got some of the best super coach credentials of any player that's played less than 30, 40 games that you'll ever see. So... I just think it's crazy. He scored zero scores below 80 last year. Uh, one on 80 on the dot, another one in the 80s, and three in the 90s. The rest were all 100+. plus. So for someone that shows ridiculous consistency on a team that should get better um, and him not having lost any midfield time and actually should improve himself being so young, I can't believe there's not more love for Clayton Oliver out there. So... Do you have any gems that you're looking at that, you know, no one's really put in their team this early, Pistol? Oh, well, I mean, Oliver is the ultimate answer to that question. Um, but, I mean, there's always other players. Cade Simpson down back is barely in any there teams that we see. Talk us through Cade Simpson because you've okay, had him okay. for a while and I've got him as well. I've had Cade Simpson since opening day. Basically, the dude doesn't miss a game. I think I said it on the previous podcast in December. In nine years, he missed like three games or something silly. And sure, you're expecting him to drop off with age, but the fact of the matter is he hasn't averaged below 90 in nine years. Doherty's out. They can't rest him. They can't afford to rest him. They don't have enough players. He's going to have to be a leader out of the back line. They're going to want it in his hands, um, and he's going to get the ball. Nothing should change. I mean, he's a year older, but some players have the special ability not to be affected by the age until... They're 40-plus years old. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Simo just keeps on going. And, you know, there's, there's no reason that this year should be the year that he drops off. So, for me, you've got a player that for nine years barely misses a game. He's averaged over 90. Why wouldn't you pick him? And it's important to remember, he's not one of those bullocking midfielders who, you know, they hit that age of 30, 32, and they just drop off because they've been taking contact all their life. Simo just floats around the half-back line. He's not getting injured. He's not getting you know, concussed or anything. The dude just picks up lazy possessions out the back. And it's the way Carlton play their game. They switch on almost every single uh, possession out of half-back. I think it's very likely he not only uh, stays with the average that he had last year, but actually may improve it. So I'm also on the Simo bandwagon. Do you have any <laughs> little gems that you have there, Chizo, hidden away that you'd like to share with us? 
Look, I've got a couple. Um, I, I've got to be honest, though, I don't think I've seen Cade Simpson get a contested possession since he was knocked out by Sharon Wedding- Wellingham all those years ago. <laughs> exactly. That's good. <laughs> I think it's because his ears are still ringing after that. Um, <laughs> Clayton Oliver, the leading loose ball um, get winner in the in the game right now. He's uh, He averages five loose ball gets a game, best in the competition, ahead of Gaz, who's in second, uh, Josh Kennedy from Sydney, Dane Beams, and still side bottom all behind him. And that's in his second year. Like His year last year was something that has not been recorded before. So um, whether he's going to have third-year blues, who knows. But the fact that he is so inside the contest and he gets his possessions from loose balls by being the first person at the bottom of the pack i think that we can be pretty safe in saying that um he should have a higher higher ownership another person i think that's going unheralded is Lockie neal he obviously had a little bit of a a down year last year um nat fife in and out of the team sandlands in and out of the team you know they're they're starting to rejig the side he didn't have a terrible year, particularly by Supercoach standards, but I think his Supercoach scoring was a little bit masked by his overall. So he's always been someone that pretty much scores exactly the same Supercoach-wise as what he scores in uh, AFL Fantasy, for example, or Dream Team. And last year, he went down from an average of 111 in Dream Team to 100, and in Supercoach, went from 112 to 109. So I think he had a less prolific year last year, but it, it was masked by the fact that he had a couple games where um, he, he had quite a few uh, kind of large scores that pumped that average up. I think that he's own, being in only 2% of teams, um, if he gets back up, uh, gets a bit, a bit more ball, starts doing what we know he can and get about um, you know 30-plus disposal a game, uh, fives in there more often, um, you know they start to get a little bit of gel with their new players um, and things like that. I, I do see that he could have another fantastic year, and I, I see him as a, a bit of a gem going under the radar in only 2% of teams right now. Yeah, it's fair to say there are definitely some players like him that are being overlooked. Um, I think... If Merritt had have had a full preseason, I think he, he's been injured a little bit. He's another one that we can speak about that hasn't gotten the attention he deserves. Um, these young players are getting a year older and should be improving, yet we're sort of going off them. So it is a, it is a little bit strange. Huh. Now, we'll move on to the next one. A lot of people are asking about this whole Motlop debacle. So he obviously started as a mid-only and got changed to a mid-forward. I think it's fair to say Supercoach realized that made a little blunder and just amended it, but everyone are now following this up with let's move Rory Lobb, let's get Dangerfield some forward eligibility, let's let's give bloody Fife some defender ruck forward eligibility. Like it's gotten a bit crazy. Pistol, what are our chances of seeing another player switch eligibility now that the Supercoach has opened? Oh, I'd pretty much say zero because when they were doing their research on Motlop, I'm sure they were doing their research on the other players. So we would have had multiple players shifting positions at the same time. Um, but it was interesting to see Motlop be the second ever player to change status after the game had opened with the first one being Blitzarves um, originally when he then got Ruck status. So yeah, I'd say there's 0% chance of this year, but it is really interesting that they did it this late. Maybe a can of worms for the next couple of years. We'll see our players switch a bit closer um, to the JLT. Yeah, so stop asking us, guys. It's not going to happen. <laughs> as much as we'd like to see Lob as that R2, um, it's not going to happen. So we'll move on to well the last talking point I'm going to bring up. I'll hand you guys the floor afterwards. 
But Pistol, I can't go the full podcast without mentioning him. You and I are falling in love with this beautiful ranger, and it's James Sicily. So I just want to hand over to you. He's not being seen by myself in enough teams. He's in my team right now. Can we just have a little chat about Sicily and why we think he's a bit of a gem for the Dr. Supercoach listeners? <laughs> have you been doing this behind my back? I, I haven't been part of this conversation. Me and Pistol have sent love letters to each other with Sicily's face <laughs> as the only thing on the letter. So it's it's gotten a bit personal. Um, I, I did show up to Sicily's house once and got escorted out. So um, <laughs> let's just, Pistol, you can just have a, have a chat while I go, you know. I don't think I'll be able to listen. <laughs> yeah, no, JV and I have been talking about Sicily for a while, and basically it comes down to this. People probably don't realize how good his numbers were at the end of last year since switching in round 14 to a defender role. I'm just going to read out his numbers for the rest of the year and maybe explain some of them. He went 93, 87, 109, 46, 104, 97, 130, 107, 25, 116. Now, obviously, the two that stand out are 46 and the 25. The 46 game, he actually got injured and played out the rest of the game. So he was feeling a bit sore. Um, so that one, I'd kind of rule out because he did get injured. Um, and the 25, he gave away seven frees, which is up there almost with an AFL record. So I'd say um, it's probably unlikely he gives away seven frees again. He did get thrown forward. He was just being tagged by Lamon. I'm sure he'll get some tags in the future, but he's not going to give away seven frees. It's absolutely ridiculous. But the other numbers, um, you know, essentially he's averaging over 100 um, from those games, which is insane. Even with those numbers included, he's still averaging um, over 90. And now you've got him having dual eligibility of a forward and defensive status. So that's amazing when you've got rookies that look like they could play round one, such as Lockie Keefe or uh, Connor Ballenden, who both have those forward defender um, DPP. And, I mean, it's 402K, so it was quite a kind price. And I just don't really see him going you know, below 85. And I think he'll go above 95, which is a massive call. But for me, it's just worth, worth the gamble, especially in the forward line. Um, where I just don't trust a lot of the forwards. And the back line are a bit um, more set. I'm quite happy with a lot of the backmen. The top primos, I think, will continue doing their, their stuff. Forward line, I'm pretty skeptical on. So at the moment, Sicily's in my team as a forward. And uh, what do you think now after hearing all that, Chizo? Well, obviously, Jed Lamb tagged him in that game where he got 25. Seven free kicks. Um, I think it's minus five every free kick. So he's still only sitting on about 60 points in that game anyway. So it's not like he's shooting the lights out. He was an intercept beast, ranked second in the AFL for intercept possessions after he moved into defence. Um, 20 contested intercept marks, uh, ranked number one overall in that time. He also won 26% of defensive one-on-one contests he defended, which was also ranked number one of the top 50 in the AFL. So the numbers look good. The only thing is he played a handful of games in defence and they already tagged him. If, if he's going to be so good are not more teams going to send Jed Lambs to him because it's quite clear he's got a Toby Green mentality and just wants to... I think he had some choice words to his teammate when they came to try and calm him down. Yeah, no, he definitely did. But the thing is, one, he's so good at the marking and stuff. Like, it's hard to stop somebody of his build, um, especially taking those intercept marks, unless they're actually going to just waste a forward 
um, that same build as him and send him down on to sit on Sicily. And the other thing is like he is quite a capable goal kicker, so he can go forward. And in certain games, I'm sure he will kick goals. I think um, that game with seven frees it doesn't include the double ups of the 50 meter penalties, which carry a larger super coach penalty. So um, I think he gave away three 50 meters in that game as well. So he scored pretty much just got absolutely destroyed by all the frees against and I'm sure he will be tagged but with somebody of his height it's quite a difficult matchup I think usually you get these running halfbacks that are being tagged I'd say it's quite rare to have an intercept marker um, be tagged otherwise you'd see Hodge and stuff being tagged their whole career and I think Sicily's just going in and being a bigger um, stronger overhead mark and intercept player than Hodge he's only 186 centimeters so he's not like a huge running back that that's Decent, <laughs> decently sized. <laughs> Can I just add in the um, the Hawthorne Intra Club was a few days ago, and Sicily was able to amass twenty seven disposals, twelve of which were marked. Majority of which of those twelve were intercept marks. So it's not like he's lost form. Um, in addition to that, but was he tagged? That's the thing. Did he punch someone? In addition to that, Chizo, <laughs> if you will let me finish. Um, no. <laughs> not too long ago, there was a article released about Sir Sicily saying that he'd reflected on his fiery moments of 2017 and advised that he was too hot-headed and will be a lot calmer this season. So there was from the man himself. Oh, how many times have we heard that from Toby Green? He still punches blokes. Yeah, but Toby Green is an oranger. <laughs> I think there's a difference, mate. All right. That's so you're just, saying he should have a higher tolerance because he's used to being bullied as definitely, a youngster? Definitely. That, that is fact. That's science. I've got science behind me on that one. Nah, you're going to have to work harder to convince me. <laughs> he's 400K. Just lock him in, Chizo. No, but I do understand your skepticism because even Pistol and I have gone... Are we really putting this guy in our team and can we each try to talk each other out of it? But his numbers <laughs> do look very impressive and I'm pretty happy with him sitting at F2 even or F3, which he's at right now. So something to think about if no one's uh, really spotted the man. And I did draft him in my keeper league, so I'm pretty happy with that as well. So Pistol, is there any closing statements you'd like to add just about um, perhaps your structuring, how you're, you've really built your team over the last few days? There's been been quite a bit of news about rookies like Jack Higgins not getting a gig early on, um, LDU potentially injured. So how are you coping with this information? Is your team changing too much? Uh, it is, but I'm going to quickly spring a question upon you from our inbox because I know you're not expecting it. So I'd love to hear your raw <laughs> thoughts um, on this question by Blake Duggan, who's asked us, would you go with Jeremy Howe or Dylan Robertson and why? Uh, okay, so personally, I would I would go with Jeremy Howe. I think he's a lot more solidified in his role. He's, his role is a lot more defined. Robertson can sort of switch between a rebounding defender and a key defender, depending on what they need, because he's got that high and agility. So um, they pretty much ship him around a lot. And by memory, as this is a question without notice, Robertson ended the year quite poorly last year, whereas Howe was actually fairly consistent for what you'd expect from a defender. So 
Um, I'm not going to point the question back at you, but am I right by saying these things? I'd pick Howell over Robertson, I think. <laughs> well, if you ask him if I'm right, I'm going to give you my opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I know it's biased because Howell's involved and you're an obvious Collingwood supporter. <laughs> I think Howell is a better pick. To add to the Robertson debate, um, Savage came across and played more as a rebounding role. And as you said, uh, Robertson's versatility um, kind of kills him just because you never really know where he's going to be playing week to week, as you said. So um, I think that's a very valid point. And just for the safer pick, they're probably level, but just for that extra bit of safety, um, Howe is someone that I would go with. Um, so good answer to that question. And uh, would you like me to continue on from your question where you asked me about how my team is uh, shifting at the moment? Yeah, just give a little little couple of gems of advice for the community, then I'll pass it over to Chizo for the same, I reckon. <laughs> My advice at the moment, given the uh, rookie situation, is to panic and panic very hard. <laughs> That's not good. Um, I was not expecting no, that at all. No, I think uh, we have to just wait for the JLT and see. I mean, basically, if all the backline rookies look to be good to go and the forward ones don't, you obviously have to go heavier in your forward line, maybe a couple more mid-prices than you're expecting, especially in the forward line where there is a lot of mid-price options. And vice versa, if all the forward rookies are getting up, then and the backmen aren't, then you know, go deeper there. I think this is a first year though, where nearly every single team that has been sent to us, I, I actually can't think of a team that hasn't been sent to us with at least five premium midfielders. It's it's a five or six premium midfield year this year. Every single player seems to be on it. If you wanted to be crazy and be unique, you could go seven or you could go four, and literally no one is doing that. I can tell you, we get hundreds of teams sent to us. Um, asking us to rate their team, every team, at least five or six premium midfielders. So um, that's the structure I'm working with. I think at the moment it's the safest, and I'd say best structure, but that's a wait and see on the JLT. Yeah, and especially considering we have Crips and Firefair that everyone is so supremely confident in, and then you have to lock in Dangerfield, and Dusty's early run is amazing, and then you've got to get Titchell because he doesn't score sub-100, and then you want to get Kelly because he's just a great-looking dude. Like It's hard <laughs> to not get six premium midfielders in there, so... I do agree. Now, Chizo, I won't ask you the same as I did Pistol just now. I actually want to know how much weight you put on the fact that a person hasn't done a full preseason. A lot. I put a lot of a lot of weight on the fact that someone hasn't had a full preseason. I think a lot of times we get sucked into. Um, this is something really, really important for for everyone listening in who's new to the game. Don't get sucked into hype. Don't get sucked into AFLX or whatever T Twenty. Um, big bash version of football we've got going on right now. Yes, a couple of people look good. You should have your own ideas. You should have your own interpretations of what is a good rookie, what is a good primo, what is a good structure, what you want to do. It's about what you th- you feel is the best way to approach it. The reason that we're getting so many midfielders, uh, so many teams coming with a high percentage of midfielders is because we're a little bit less confident with our ruck line, a little bit less confident, particularly with our forward premiums. And uh, there's a lot of conjecture about our back premiums and how deep we're going to go. And so we find that we have all this extra money just laying around because we're just plonking in all these rookies. And so everyone's got all, enough money to, to fit in Crips and at F7 and ridiculous places like this. I think when it comes down to the crunch, we're going to have to look legitimately at players that have had a full preseason. So someone like Paddy Cripps, who was over a 10-game period before averaged 124 or 125, and so he has the game to score, but he hasn't had a full preseason. So 
for this year being his his only full preseason so far in his career, that's something that's giving me a lot of confidence in him. If we're looking at someone like um, Luke Davies, Uniac, LDU, I didn't think he was going to be a very high scorer anyway, so I don't think I can really justify his price tag when you're looking um, compared to like a Tim Kelly, who's 117k, that um, a mature age rookie that's probably going to play early games as well. I'm not too worried about the fact that he's having some back tightness reportedly and he may not play JLT but might be ready for round one, etc., etc. You should be looking for players that have had a good preseason, are ready to go. If you're you know, looking at a guy like Jack Billings, as soon as he does soft tissue stuff a month out from the preseason, for me personally, I start shopping him around. I start looking to see who's had a good preseason, who I think I can really back in because that soft tissue stuff like that can re- really easily reoccur. And it's the same reason I didn't start um, with a few players last year that had monitored preseasons, and um, particularly this year, Toby Green as well, um, who's going to miss games for punching people anyway, but for an example, has had a, a monitored preseason as well. So um, he's on my watch list, but I I won't be taking too much from AFLX and, and JLT anyway. I should We should already have these discussions with ourselves anyway to know who we're looking at yeah great answer and i don't think we can get crips to f7 but i think you meant m7 the rest yeah. of it was perfect though um yeah i tend to agree it's it's very important that they get a, a full preseason out and it does have more of an effect than we like to convince ourselves when selecting the players that have had an interrupted preseason so it's definitely something to look out for now um was is that our closing statements does anyone have any any last things to say pistol i'm just glad that chizo finally admitted that he's removed billings from his team and put in sicily <laughs> <laughs> that would be sicily oh no i think we'll end on that note guys <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, we'll be doing our our structured uh, reviews. So defenders, forwards, mid, uh, sorry, midfielders. Ruckman in our usual uh, context of mid-pricer, premium, blah, blah, blah. So we'll be pumping out the podcasts once GLT's well in order. We don't really want to jump the gun and give you false information that we're going to have to reiterate and rechange uh, before the season starts. So Now, if you did enjoy the podcast, guys, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud for Dr. Supercoach. Let us know if you like the content, you didn't like the content. It all helps out, helps get our brand out there, helps us improve more importantly. And if you want to talk to us directly, you want some advice on your teams, you can find us on Twitter or on the Facebook inbox. If you're looking for us on Twitter, there's JB underscore D RSC or Chizo with a Z underscore DRSC and we'll give you some feedback on your teams and if you do leave us a review feel free to send us through a screenshot of your team to our email for us to review and give you some feedback that email is drscpod at gmail.com drscpod at gmail.com so this is why Chizo opens and closes (laughs) (laughs) hope you enjoyed the podcast and thank you very much gentlemen for joining me and we'll talk to you again soon